One more thing. Uh, the page in your journal that you're going to turn to is in the very back, your notes section. Uh, yeah, just lined paper. Uh, we didn't put this one in. I called an audible. I should have put it in um, as a whole, uh, but uh, uh, that was an oversight by my part. I'm really excited to speak to you today about the issue of money. How many of you came to church ready for that? Okay, uh, four of you. Um, if you're a guest with us today, I, I want to say this, lest you think to yourself, see, I show up to church and they're just talking about money. You've missed 13 other weeks, okay? I just want to be very clear on that. Um, and so I, here's what I'm going to ask you to do is just lean in with me today. Um, this is a really important subject. Um, once again, this is a subject matter that I've got great conviction over. Um, if we can just out the gate for the sake of offending anybody and everybody in church today, uh, if you have this thought go through your mind, the money, uh, the church just wants my money, uh, like you can just ignore the rest of this message, uh, play Bejeweled, and then um, once, once we get done, it's fine, because that is not the posture and the heart of this church whatsoever. Uh, but it's also my responsibility to talk very clearly about the, what, what the Bible says about a matter. Is that all right with everybody today? All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through to 24. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one, come on somebody, or love the other. This is Jesus being very real about things, okay? Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Today, as we continue on in our series, Tethered, I want to speak to you from the subject today, the tithe. The first is mine. As we look at biblical obedience and stewardship concerning the tithe and the power and the purpose it plays in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. It indeed changes us. It's your word is light. Your word is truth. So we submit ourselves to it today. And I pray that as we submit our minds, our hearts, our souls to your word, that you would transform us from the inside out, God. I love you. I pray that there'd be no offensive way in me today, God. I love this church. And God, I, I pray today that I would steward my words well in order that this beautiful tapestry of people would hear your word. We honor you today and we look to you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, it took me a while to come to grips with what was mine and what was somebody else's as I've gotten older in life. Come on, somebody. As a single, everything is yours. Right? Singles, just hear me today. You are in a very great space. You fundamentally know that everything that you have is yours. It's nobody else's. And then I got married. And what happened? Um, what, was, what was mine became somebody else's. And that somebody else felt the responsibility to tell me that what was mine was now hers. <laughs> then we had kids. And then I realized I have nothing. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? This is the progression of, of life. Um, and as I grew in my faith as well, I realized that in my processing of what is mine and what is somebody else's, I would often neglect another key figure in my life, and that is God. And so now as a man over 40, I realized that um, what is mine is also my wife's, what is mine is also my children's, what is mine is also God's. And the reason that I have anything of mine is because first and foremost, God gave it to me. So in fact, I have nothing. I'm just a steward over what I've been made responsible over. We'll get there in a minute. But if we're honest with ourselves, God has really brought into the equation of what is mine and what is his. And if you don't know this yet, it's pretty clear about what is his. I want us to hold that tab open for a few minutes 
And we'll talk about it in, in, in just a second. In a survey called the Mind Over Money Survey done by Capital One in the Decision Lab, their findings were very telling concerning Americans and money. 77% of Americans, and, and I'm now quoting from their study, 77% of Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. 58% feel that finances control their lives. 52% have difficulty controlling their money-related worries. Americans are most worried about their financial future, which includes not having enough money to 68% retire, keeping up with the cost of living 56%, and managing debt levels 45%. The impact financial stress has on Americans stretches into all aspects of life, with respondents saying that they feel fatigued by them 43%. They find it difficult to concentrate at work 42%. And have trouble sleeping, 41%. A quarter of respondents, 25%, said financial stress affects their relationships. Yeah. Here are just a few more facts from a study done by Dave Ramsey. Regardless of how you feel about him, these are statistics. Americans as a whole owe more than 1.2 trillion in educational debt. With the average student loan hovering just under $29,000. Meanwhile, the average car loan has an all-time high at more than $30,000. That kicks the average monthly payment just past the $500 mark. With the average American uh, facing monster debts like these, it's no wonder people rely on their credit cards, which, by the way, have an average balance of more than $15,000. And there are more than 1.4 billion open credit cards in the United States alone. I just read the other day that the U.S. household debt heading into the fourth quarter of 2023 has climbed to $17.3 trillion. With the reality of higher cost of living, gas on the rise, the ever-present pressure of simply keeping up with things, money tends to be at the top of our heads and our hearts. Would you all agree with me? Come on, would you all agree with me? So it gets even more daunting when we hear that God wants a part of our finances. Many of us are like, God, do you see what we're facing right now? Do you see what's going on? Now I can feel the anxiety in the room, the raised eyebrows and the sideways looks, and some of you already started playing bejeweled. So, <laughs> but before we start stressing and feeling any type of way about this, let me, let me give a qualifier. This is not a conversation to bring shame, stress, or frustration. Instead, this is an invitation to walk a narrow path and find rest for our souls in this area of our discipleship. Today is about an invitation to sacred obedience and stewardship. Okay? The truth is that the Bible has a lot to say about this area of our life and faith. I love this thought offered to us by the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary concerning stewardship in our lives. This is what they write. The biblical concept of stewardship beginning with Adam and Eve and developed more fully in the New Testament is that God is owner and provider of all that any of us possess. That's right. Since all belongs to him, it is incumbent that we all be used for his purposes and glory. A collective responsibility was given to mankind to have dominion over the earth, to care for it and manage it for his glory. Individually, whether financial resources, real property, other valuable items, time, influence, or opportunity, the believer is to seek the mind and will of God for every decision. He expects for all that we have to be used in ways which please and honor him. He expects that we, regardless of vocation, will exercise responsible stewardship on his behalf of every day that we live. One day his eternal kingdom will come. In the meantime, we are to live as if it has already come. End quote. Stewardship, write this down today if you're taking notes. Stewardship is first and foremost about our hearts before it's about our money. Stewardship is about our hearts before it is about our money. But the truth is, as Jesus would say to us, our heart and our money are closely connected. And the way that we see and operate in stewardship is a direct reflection of our hearts. So if we're gonna deal with the idea of biblical stewardship, church, we must recognize and engage first in first. Every shout first. first. Every turn to your neighbor and say first. first. The sacred act of tithing. Amen. Five amens, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm gonna talk to this side over here. This is, this is my side today. This is, this is my side today. All right. In one of the craziest articles I have ever read, 
A story is told about John Densmore, longtime drummer for The Doors. And I quote from this article now. John Densmore, longtime drummer, listen to this because this is just wild, wild and out how he came to these conclusions. John Densmore, longtime drummer for The Doors, took up tithing after John Lennon, y'all know who John Lennon is? Yeah. All right, just making sure. After John Lennon praised it in a Playboy interview. Y'all see why I was tripped out? This brother's talking about tithing in a Playboy interview. Years later, just to be clear, this was a, this was a different magazine that I got this article out of, okay? Just, just wanna clarify that. It was a financial, it was a financial article. So, <laughs> I gotta scratch this from the next service. Um, Praised it in a Playboy interview. Years later, Densmore mentioned in an essay for The Nation that tithing helped him resist greed. Wow. He wrote, during the Oliver Stone film on our band, the record royalties tripled. And as I wrote those 10% checks, my hand was shaking. Wow. This is somebody who doesn't even follow Jesus. Right. That is grasping the gravity Amen. of this sacred act. In an article called The Stewardship Dilemma, the author writes, tithing is not a luxurious option achievable only by those whose financial security is assured. It's the ancient spiritual practice that God uses to begin setting our priorities right, to heal our hearts of greed and fear, and to draw us ever closer into his own boundless generosity. Now, before we dig into the academic part of this message today, I wanna to show you the math on this thing as we've been doing in this whole series. I wanna take a moment to acknowledge where each of us is in the room today, all right? Across all of our service today and online, there will be, broadly speaking, four groups of people hearing this message today. Group one, okay? Group one, this is the all about it group. It means you're all about it, right? This is the group of people who understand the principles and practice of the tithe and are currently engaged in faithful and consistent giving of the tithe. They are pumped that I'm talking about this right now, okay? Because they understand the great blessing that it's been in their life and they have seen God be so faithful in all areas of their lives. They will probably be the people that are shouting amen at me today. <laughs> group two, this is fun, this is a fun, this is a fun service today. Uh, group two, group two, this is the I had no clue group. This group is those in here today who are simply unclear. You've never heard or have never been taught about the subject of tithing. Maybe you're newer to your faith and the Bible and you come from a different faith background where it was not taught or modeled. So you're simply not knowledgeable about the subject yet. Welcome to the well. Group three, this is the I know but don't want to group. <laughs> this is the fun to this side. Come on, you guys, you guys need to come. Come with me on the journey. Come with me on the journey. <laughs> this group is those in here today who, are, who very much know what the Bible says, have been taught what the Bible says, but simply don't want to. You've decided to ignore this subject and area, listen to this, of your discipleship in life. Group four, this is the I don't think I can group. This group are those in here today who, when looking at your finances, believe that you cannot afford to tithe. Your financial situ situation is tight, you are struggling to make ends meet, and things are difficult right now. Yeah. Now, I know that these are relatively broad categories, but now, and I can't believe I'm saying this with my mouth today, with almost two decades of pastoral ministry now, these are the groups that I see and engage with on a very regular basis. Now, I realize there's a lot of heat surrounding this issue that that brings great division and contention amongst people, both a part of the local church and, and not a part of the local church, okay? Our ability to appropriately define this reality has to come from the truth of scripture, okay? We can't just express opinions or systematics or, or tradition, so we must ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about this issue? Now, before I go on, for some of you in this room today, this is a tense situation. This is a tense issue for you today. You were not ready to come into church and have to deal with this today because you come from a place where you've seen it not done appropriately. Maybe you've been a part of a church that hasn't done what they're supposed to do with finances. And, and, and we've watched people, even in the media, who live lives in certain ways and, and, and don't use resources in appropriate ways. We've seen that. I wanna just tell you here that at the well, we have a 
very judicially responsible system and board and the way that we do things around here, okay? So if you have any questions about that, go to grow. All right, go to grow, do all that. So I'm gonna speak today simply from the place of what scripture says. Is that all right with everybody? All right, the word tithe, let's look at the scriptural history of the Bible, front to back, Genesis to Revelation. Y'all ready? Here we go. The word tithe means a tenth. That's deep, I know. Biblically speaking from the Old Testament, the tithe was a tenth of the produce of the earth consecrated and set apart for special purposes. The dedication of a tenth to God was recognized as a duty before the time of Moses, before the law was actually given. Okay, that's really important for us to note. One of the earliest mentions of the tithe is found in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, which was pre-law, speaking about Abraham, Genesis 14, 20. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This principle would be observed and followed for generations afterward. Y'all ready for a lot of scripture? The first Mosaic law on the subject is recorded in Leviticus, I know, everybody's book of choice, 27, 30 through 34. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. And then he'll go on to share a bunch more about the tithe. Other areas of Old Testament scripture referencing the regulation and bringing of the tithe in accordance with Mosaic law are found in Numbers 18, 21 through to 24, Numbers 18, 26 through to 28, Deuteronomy chapter 12, five through six. Deuteronomy chapter, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11, chapter 12, verse 17, chapter 14, verses 22 to 23, and many other areas of the Old Testament. And if I were to put up all the scriptures on the screen, it would fill the screen, okay? The giving of the tithe was an essential part of the Jewish religious worship. Even more so, there was an eagerness to participate in the tithe that was brought on during a time of reformation led by Hezekiah found in Chronicles chapter 31, five through to six. There was joy around this. Listen to what the Bible says. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought it in abundantly, the tithe of everything. It was as if they were all waiting, right? And they were like, on your marks, Get set, go, oh, and everybody lost their mind. They were ready to go. They were ready to do it. Now, some of us will just pause for just a second. Some of us might be thinking right now, man, they're talking about wine and grain and produce. They, that was an agricultural culture, okay? An agrarian culture. Now, we'll get to the New Testament and we'll start to see that culture start to shift into, for lack of better terms, first century Christianity was moving into a modernized culture. No, they didn't have Instagram and green dollar bills, but it was moving from trading in wine and in grain and in fruit and those produce to starting to deal with money. Notice Judas didn't sell Jesus for apples. Y'all, y'all with me? He traded him for something much more to him. Okay, that's important to note. This then brings us to one of the most popular, most quoted sections of scripture referencing the tithe. Y'all have heard it before, Malachi chapter three, verses eight through to 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and your fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this piece of scripture has been greatly abused by my, in my summation. Now, without having the spectrum drawn on the board, there's a spectrum when it comes to the issue of the tithe and, and, and generosity and, and money in general in church, okay? Uh, one end of the spectrum, we have what is known as the prosperity gospel, okay? And the prosperity gospel, for lack of better terms, is that if you give, then you will get. If you give, then God is gonna give you in abundance. You're gonna have a million dollars and a six pack and everybody's gonna love you. 
okay? Which I've been tithing for many, 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 many years. And I still don't have a six pack. I still don't have a million dollars. And there's some people who actually don't like me. Okay? So we have the prosperity side of things. And I just want to say unequivocally, you could tithe for the rest of your life and never see mass finance come into your life. That shouldn't be the reason we tithe. Okay? So prosperity on, on, on one side of things. I believe that God wants us to be prosperous in all things that we do. But it doesn't mean that you drive a Ferrari and have a boat and a gigantic house on the side of a mountain. Those things aren't bad. It's just not the point. So what we do in order to reject one thing, because humans are really good at this, we swing the, we swing the pendulum to the complete and total opposite side. So instead of the, poverty, or the, the uh, prosperity gospel, we like to dip into the pool of the poverty gospel, which is God doesn't want me to have anything and that anybody who does have anything is inherently bad because they are led by money, which is not true. I know God-fearing people who do great things with their finance who live according to this principle, okay? So I don't think that God wants us to have nothing and be impoverished and not enjoy the life that we have and the life that he's called us to lead as long as it's stewarded well and led well by you and me. Am I talking too quick right now? Okay. So we're not to swing towards these pendulums over here. There's a third way. And the third way is obedience. The third way is obedience. And there's seasons where we have lot and there's seasons where we have a little. It was the neglect of the tithe that the prophet was addressing to these people. And like so many other times across their history, the people of God had abandoned the reality of obedience. This was the true issue. They had abandoned the reality of trusting God with everything they had and everything that they were. So now we move from the Old Testament, that's just a 30,000 foot view of this area, to the New Testament from Malachi to Matthew. And in this, we have a gap of about 400 years. From this period enters Jesus and the ushering in of what is called the New Covenant. It's a covenant based not on performance or requirement, but instead based on the sacrifice of Jesus. It's based upon grace, and that grace is found through faith in Jesus. By placing our faith, our trust, and our hope in him, we are free from the ramifications of a life lived in rebellion and sin. We are set free in Christ. Y'all with me? This is the gospel of grace. Based upon this definition, though, based upon the idea of a new covenant, many thoughts and ideas have been developed around the tithe issue. The greatest of these arguments is that the tithe, among other realities of the Old Testament, is no longer necessitated and relevant to us who live under the new covenant. This is one of the thoughts and arguments. At first glance, that would seem appropriate. It would seem valid. It'd seem a, a right thought process, but it would be so far from the truth. Yeah. And I'll be as bold to say it. Now, I wanna also just qualify this. Lots of qualifiers in this. Um, I'm not teaching about something that I don't do. Erica and I, as a family, tithe to our local church, the well. Just so you know, this is my, this is my local church too. My, <laughs> I, don't, I don't just teach here and then go somewhere else on the weekend, right? Like, where's he catching a Saturday night service? Um, my, my kids are raised here. We do community and life here. So Erica and I faithfully give in this house, okay? Now... It couldn't be further from the truth. Just because we're in the new covenant doesn't erase certain things. Now let's, let's prove it. This type of thinking is addressed numerous times throughout the New Testament, but none more clearly than by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through to 19. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Notice the word. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. All right. Therefore, whoever relaxes on one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice he doesn't say won't be in heaven. This is, a, this is an important thing to realize, but he's like, you can't just scratch away some of these things because we're in a new covenant. It just simply means that these things don't produce our salvation. Now, I'll say this unequivocally. Can you be a Christian and not tithe? Yep. Can you be a Christian and not read your Bible? Sure. 
Can you be a Christian and not pray? Sure. Can you be a Christian and not come to church? Sure. Can you be a Christian and not worship? Sure. But here's what I tell you about your Christian walk. It's gotta be so dull. What's the point? Now, many people come and we'll ask our staff, ask us, man, I, I, can you disciple me? I just, want, I just want to be discipled. How many of you have heard that before? Yeah. Maybe you even said that. Everyone's like looking at me. They're like, I've never said that. <laughs> and I would say that this subject matter that we're dealing with today is a discipleship yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's a discipleship issue. It's not a salvation issue. Are we really clear on that? Yeah. Okay, so I don't want anybody walking out of here going like, oh, see, this is legalism. No, no, legalism is believing that you have to do something in order to get something. Yeah. This is not a salvation issue. This is a discipleship issue, okay? So the writer of the New American Commentary on Matthew states this. It is inadequate to say either that none of the Old Testament applies unless it's explicitly reaffirmed in the New or that all of the Old Testament applies unless it's explicitly revoked in the New. Rather, listen to what he says. All of the Old Testament remains normative and relevant for Jesus' followers today. Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, puts it this way. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yes. Biblical silence on a matter does not make the matter void or irrelevant. A lot of people say, well, Jesus didn't say it, right? So we expect Jesus to say every other word that we need in order to be convinced of something. That's our biblical reality, apparently, okay? This is why the Old Testament is important to us. Much of what we relegate to the corners of our faith is simply our way of not doing the work necessary to form a biblically-based assessment of truth for our life and faith. The Old Testament is crucial in bringing context to these and many other issues we face where there seems to be silence in the New Testament. Also, many times, silence is simply an assumption of participation. Just because it's not said does not mean it's not there. But here's the thing. The Bible is not silent on this matter. I said the Bible is not silent on this matter. Okay? So if it comes down, now, will you give me a little space to be a little cheeky? Is that all right with everybody? I'm going to ask this side, because this side had... Will you guys give me a little space to be a little cheeky and sarcastic this morning? Okay, good. You gave me permission. You all heard it, okay? Okay. So if it comes down to whether Jesus said or not, here's my question to all of us today, Auditorium 2 and online. If Jesus said it, would you do it? Because if we're honest, there are many things that Jesus said to do that we choose not to do. So for good measure, here's the question I want to ask today. If Jesus told you to tithe, would you do it? No more questions asked. Because he's actually very clear on the subject in our participation. Let's go to Matthew 23. <laughs> Starting at verse 23, listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglect, without These things should have been done without neglecting the others. But yet I cannot tell you how many times this verse has been used to say, see, it's gone. We need to pay attention to justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, yes, of course, you, those, are the, those are actually the more important things. This should be easy. That's what he's saying. It's right here in Matthew 23 and the same moment recorded in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, that he rebukes the Pharisees, not for their tithing, but for their neglect of people and the weightier matters of the law. In other words, Jesus affirms the principle of the tithe as he corrects the other issues of the heart that the Pharisees were dealing with. He did not renounce tithing. He objected to their following of the law in lieu of helping people. Let me illustrate it this way. It'd be like me acknowledging today that you came to church wearing a shirt and shoes, but making sure that you didn't neglect the more important matter 
of wearing pants. <laughs> Y'all with me today? In no way did I say, hey, stop wearing shirt and shoes. I said, no, that's good. Keep on doing that. That's a, that's a very necessary thing. But please, please, please do not forget the weightier issue of putting pants on when you come to church. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? Jesus was not disregarding the tithe at this moment as he rebuked the Pharisees. He was actually affirming it. He said it's essential, but don't forget to do the other things as well. Even to say, don't use your engagement. Let's reverse the argument really quickly. Don't use your engagement in the tithe to justify not doing the other things that you've been called to do as well. The reality is, is that we can give and ignore serving, worship, reading our word, prayer, and many other parts of our whole discipleship journey. Okay? If you continue to study, we'll see again, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through to 14. Jesus will affirm the reality of the tithe as he tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. He says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Both were disliked. The Pharisee was standing, praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. <laughs> Come on, have you ever prayed that way? At Thanksgiving dinner? God, I thank you that I'm not like Uncle Bob. <laughs> Greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. That's what he's standing right now, and, or even like this guy. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. The tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Wow. Notice they were both there to do the same thing, but the posture of their heart was very different. Yeah. 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 I can tithe and be God, look at me, look at me. Or I can tithe with a very different posture because it's at the end of the day, not about this, it's about this. Now, he doesn't critique or abolish the tithe, but instead brings a critique against the heart posture of the one giving. Jesus doesn't condemn, but rather, doesn't condemn tithing, but rather condemns it being done to the exclusion of living a life of humility and recognizing who one is in light of God's goodness and grace, a sinner. I've been asked before, why don't we make a bigger deal out of it? There's giving boxes in the, in the doors right there. It's where people put their tithe or you can give online and so on and so forth. Because at the end of the day, we don't want to make much of it. Amen. That's the point. The point is that God knows my posture. Does that make, does that make sense? The only thing that we make much of is when we engage in sacrificial giving in our legacy offering, and that's about an issue of unity above and beyond that, and that is something that you and God deal with in your heart. We'll talk about that in the, the beginning of the year. Now, um, the tithe, amongst so many other sacred paths, is a biblical command that at the end of the day has nothing to do with money as much as it has to do with our obedience. God's design for our lives is to find ourselves in greater reliance upon him. Okay? The tithe, amongst many other things, is not about salvation and eternity, but about design and purpose for the here and now. I want to say this very clearly. Everybody looking at me when I say this, everybody look up. Auditorium 2 and online, I want you to hear this very clearly just for the sake of good measure. All the gospel, salvation in Christ, requires is repentance and faith. That's it. But what the gospel produces is obedience. See the difference? Okay. Joyful obedience. We live in a culture now that is becoming increasingly self-reliant. We reject and we rebel against anyone or anything that would seemingly subject us to a position of reliance. However, it is in the place of reliance that we find true freedom and blessing. God says, if you'll trust me with the 10th and learn to live on the rest, I will ensure that you are cared for in every way far beyond your comprehension and understanding. The tithe is about obedience, plain and simple, faith-filled obedience. 
Now you may say, Jason, these are uncertain times. The economy is fragile. We've just experienced a global pandemic. There are wars and rumors of wars. The political landscape is tense. The political landscape is crazy. Gas is high. Homes are expensive. Food is inflating daily. Jobs are scarce. And I don't know what tomorrow holds. And you would be right. But listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes says, chapter 11, verses four to six. One who watches the wind will not sow. The one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. So in the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. Faith-filled obedience, church, hear me today, does not look at the wind or the clouds, but instead trusts the one who created them. So as we close today, some of you are like, he's actually getting ready to close. I apologize, I'm trying to make up time for the past few weekends. (laughs) As we get ready to close today, I wanna give us one, one. One. One point. (laughs) God is working. One very important point and practical next step to help order our lives. This is the only point you're gonna get today. Then I'll talk for a little bit longer after it. (laughs) Here's the point, y'all ready? Every shot, number one. We have to fight for what is first. We gotta fight for what is first. This is something we have to do in every area of our lives. Whether it's with our time, our talent, our gifts, or money. As we've been talking about today, we have to put first in our lives. What we put first in our lives says a lot about what controls our lives. Let yes, me say that one more time. What you and I put first in our lives says a lot about what controls our lives. God is first. That is the exclusive claim that he makes over your life and my life. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through to 34. Now, if you were to go back to our original section of scripture where he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Y'all remember this? Just a few moments later, he's gonna then continue to speak and say what we would see in this section of scripture right here. This is now the backside, watch what he says. This is the follow-up to his discourse, Matthew chapter six, 25 through to 34. Therefore, I tell you, based upon everything that I just said, you can't serve God and money. One or the other is gonna be first. Something's gonna be first. He says, so therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body and what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? That is one of my most favorite statements ever made in scripture. Because I get weird mental pictures of people trying to add to their lifespan just simply by gritting and worrying. How many of you stayed up extra hours last night thinking over a bunch of things as we head into new seasons, worrying, worrying, worrying? Can you tell me how much it added to your life? How much of the stress and the frustration that we carry, how much is it really adding to our our lives? Do you gain more years by worrying? Why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first, here it is. But seek first the kingdom. Everybody shout first. Come on, everybody shout first. Come on, all both auditoriums, everybody shout first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow, <laughs> Jesus, little, little sarcasm, because tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want us to see what this looks like. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right over here in this jar, we have kingdom stuff. I like the idea of kingdom stuff being rocks. Y'all remember what Jesus said? You build your life on? You build your life on the? You build your life on the? Right. And so you're stable, you're secure. These are, these are, these are kingdom things. And then we have these things. Well, sandy sand. Sandy sand. These things. It's all these other things that Jesus talked about. And here's what's interesting to me is that many of us play in sandboxes more than we stand on rocks. And once we get our, our sandbox built and we say, okay, God, now all these things have been added and I'm going to then start adding kingdom things. Y'all see what I'm talking about here? And here's the thing, and I know some of you are like hoping that it all fits in the other one, but it doesn't. And there's inevitably things that don't fit because I put these things first. Y'all see what I'm talking about? But Jesus says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, oh, that's why Aaron did plastic, thank you. <laughs> she just shakes her head. <laughs> She's like, I told you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Just make sure I put these up. And all of these things it will be added unto you. Y'all see, see what I'm talking about? That's just, that's just. This is deaf. This is more like dirt sand. But I want you to see the principle here. The principle is that many of us are trying to fit the kingdom secondarily in our lives, instead of it being first in our life and packing it in. And the key to a strong life, a strong foundation is kingdom first. Now, for many of us, we struggle with this and here's why. It's not about money. It's about faith. And I often sit back and I realize that one of the greatest reasons that we struggle with this issue is not because money. We have the money. But we prefer to give it to Apple. We prefer to give it to Starbucks. Oh, now I really want a medal for just a second. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Okay, I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it. I, I watch when companies lend their support towards certain things in our generation right now, and Christians lose their mind on Facebook, and they lose their mind on Instagram, and then we, and then we call for riots and protests about on these companies. Don't spend your money there. And here's the question that I ask so many times in my life. I go, you're advocating for not spending your money someplace. Here's my primary question, are you first doing this. Because at the end of the day, whether you shop someplace or not shop place doesn't really matter. My question is, is do you put your money where your mouth is? I just, just kind of put it out there, right? Because for me, like I, I get it. I mean, I don't want to support those things and I don't want to shop here and I don't want to do this, but my primary responsibility is this, because here's what I trust more than anything else at the end of the day. I trust that the kingdom will advance. When I tithe, I trust that the kingdom will advance, regardless if people are still spending money at Starbucks or Target or anywhere else. Right? 
<laughs> Five amens on that one. Or maybe I'm up in your business. Because when we put right things first, it reorders and reprioritizes the rest of our lives. This is especially important truth for those today who believe you can't do this because you can't afford it. I can tell you right now, you can afford it. Most of us can't afford it. But it may require you to sacrifice some things that you don't actually need. There have been times where I haven't been able to get what I want. But God has always supplied my needs. So I mean that the latest iPhone may be put on hold. It may mean that the daily Starbucks or lunch out can no longer happen. But I'm telling you, when you put the right things first, it will reorder your life. Come on, somebody. When I put God first in my money, I am saying that selfishness, greed, materialism, and keeping up with the Joneses do not have authority over me. When I put God first in my time by Sabbathing, I'm saying that busyness, hurrying, rushing, and running the rat ways does not have authority over me. When I put God first in my attention and worshiping, I'm saying that worry, fear, insecurity, and hopelessness do not have authority over me. When I put God first by reading and studying his word, I'm saying that distraction, lies, ideologies, and philosophies, whispers in the world's deception does not have authority over me. When I put God first in my marriage, I'm saying that division, distraction, desire, apathy, and bitterness, and unforgiveness do not have authority over me. When I put first God in my family, I'm saying that disunity, callousness, trauma, the past, and hurts do not have authority over me. And when I put God first by saying yes to him and following him, I am saying that sin, brokenness, addiction, rebellion, the devil, and the world do not have authority over me. Come on, someone shout first. We put him first. First. In all things. This is my way of equalizing it because it's not just about money. But we've talked about all the other things for the past 13 weeks. Someone shout first. And so some of us need to take the step today this week to begin tithing. Study up on it, go read about it. But it's the first fruits, it's 10%, it's a 10th. And that looks different for those of us making $40,000 a year and those of us making $400,000 a year. I'll tell you a story, now I'm going over time, I'm so sorry. Y'all, y'all with me still, let me tell you a story. This is a true story, you can take your seats and then we're gonna pray, you can take your seats. True story, I close on this. I have a pastor friend of mine, had a gentleman in his church. And the gentleman got a revelation of this issue called the tithe. And so he was barely scraping by and one day he gets a promotion at work and he goes from making very little to all of a sudden he gets promoted to making $70,000 a year. And he's tithing. And he's like, God, thank you for this promotion. And he starts seeing that in this prayer, greed's going away, all this stuff's going away. And then he gets another promotion and another promotion and another promotion and another promotion. And this gentleman goes from making $70,000 a year to $400,000 a year. And some of us can't even fathom that type of money, right? And this gentleman's making $400,000 a year. So he walks up to the pastor. This is a true story. I'm taking away names for the sake of the story, okay? True story says, pastor, man, I gotta I got talk to you about this. Um, I'm making more money than I've ever made. But I gotta tell you, this tithing thing is getting really expensive. <laughs> That's what he says. And this pastor friend of mine, he is smart as a whip. He, walk, he, he, he walks right up to him and he goes, all right, let's pray right now. And he lays hands on him and he says, God, right now, I just pray that you would bring this gentleman back down to what he was originally making <laughs> so that he can afford his tithe. Amen. And this gentleman goes, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want that prayer. I don't want that prayer. I don't want that prayer. <laughs> this, that's a true story. What happened? It wasn't the money thing that happened. It keeps us in a place to go, this is not mine. 
this is all God's. And I want to use everything that is God's to bring him glory. And God says, if you just give me this and trust me, then all boy, live off the rest of it and see that I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. If somebody said, amen. Just bow your head and close your eyes with me today. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is good. Today, God, I ask that right now you would just stir our hearts in this place. I want to ask a question while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe today in here, somebody needs needs to take the first step in all things. And the first step is to simply make him first in your life. It's not giving, it's not any of that. It's simply saying, Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior and I wanna follow you. That's the first step, it's Jesus first. And so we're gonna pray a prayer in this moment, all of us together so we don't leave anybody out. But if you'd say, man, Jason, that's me. I need to say yes to Jesus. Would you pray this prayer after us today, with all of us today, so we don't leave anybody out. Come on, as loud as you can, church. Both auditoriums today, would you say this out loud? Everybody say, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. My past, my right now, and my future. And today, I'm deciding to follow you. I'm going all in. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for freeing me. And today, I am deciding to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said...